Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is it normal to have really vivid dreams? Is it normal to feel so bone tired all the time? Is it normal to be dizzy? Is it normal to be so outrageously farty? (laughs) Hello and welcome to Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast. I'm Jessie Ware and this podcast follows my pregnancy journey and includes some of you and your voice notes and your stories and your symptoms. Um, With the help of some brilliant experts, we are here to reassure and inform you about all aspects of pregnancy and giving birth. We're now at week 35 and I expect many of you are counting down the days until you finally get to go on maternity leave. Maybe you get to go for that swim, maybe you get to go for that pregnancy massage, that foot rub, acupuncture, whatever. It's the final countdown and we're nearly, nearly there. This episode will be focusing on pain management during labour. It's a big old topic. There's many different ways to manage the pain in labour. Some people will choose to have all of them, some will choose to have none. And that is absolutely fine. I'll be joined by anaesthetist Dr Maria Zia to tell us everything we need to know about epidurals in particular. But first, we're going to hear from our resident midwife Izzy Borton to talk us through the other pain relief methods we can use during labour. So, Izzy, we're at week 35. Um, I'm feeling all right. I'm sick of my mother telling me, you look enormous, darling. You're never going to make it to 40 weeks. That baby is coming out very soon. I'm like, I thank you. I think I look exactly the same. Please keep your opinions to yourself. Um, I've started watching birthing videos with my daughter, which I don't know whether it was recommended or not, but she's really into them. Um... And I, I don't think I want her at the birth. I'm, I'm planning to have a home birth, but um, it's been quite fascinating. Her thinking that you poo the baby out and then her seeing that it doesn't come out of your bum bum. So that's been <laughs> quite funny. But it's been really fascinating. She's so kind of interested in it. She's like, can I see another one? Can I see another Aww. one? It's quite addictive. But yeah, nothing else to report from from me. I am still working quite madly. Um, my hips are hurting in the night, but I just move over from side to side. I've been getting on with my perennial massage. That's always a joy. But yeah, I've got nothing to really report. So maybe we should go to some other pregnant people about how they're feeling. So we have one voice note that actually is quite important for the conversation that we're about to have, which is all about pain management in labour. So let's kick off with this voice note about a TENS machine. Hi. So I'm seeing a lot of people are using tens, the TENS machine to help with labour pains. 
I've got one at home, I just have no idea how to use it for labour pains specifically. So um, if anyone would be willing to share that information, I'd be very grateful. So with the TENS machine, for anyone that doesn't know, it's a kind of little handheld device that has some wires attached and some sticky pads that go on your back. And it sends out mild electrical impulses, which kind of stimulate the nerves that are going into your back. And the idea is that these almost like very low level electrical shocks um, like electrical impulses are blocking the pain um, the kind of pain sensations that you're feeling and, and replacing them with these uh, kind of it's almost like a buzzing have you used a TENS Jesse? I tried to use one but I don't know if I just didn't do it right or it just didn't work for you I don't know some people have spoken really highly of them mm. I feel it like it didn't touch the sides, but that isn't to scare everyone. I think it's really personal. It's just, I don't know. I think yeah. for some people it really works and for others they don't get on with it. When's the best time to use it? So I would say start using it from quite early on in your labour. Um, so when you start feeling contractions and, you know, potentially they're still quite spaced apart and irregular. Um, mm. If you kind of start using it from the early stages, I in my experience find that it kind of almost builds with you throughout the labor because the way that it works is you have this handheld device and you start off at quite a low level when you have this little button that you press when you start to feel the contraction and it starts emitting the impulses and you can kind of increase the strength of the impulses as your contractions or surges get stronger and I think for a lot of people having something that you're kind of in control of that kind of mm. you can use when the contraction starts it, it I don't know how much of it is it's like a focus yeah it's like a kind of physical and psychological element to it of like having something that you can compress and then it has this um effect of the idea is you're kind of blocking the the pain sensation with this electrical impulse so um Hopefully you have the instructions at home in your box with your TENS machine, but generally the sticky pads are going to go kind of in the middle of your back, two of them either side of your spine and the lower back again, two either side of the spine. But you can, I'm sure you can find an image online of where to stick your sticky pads. And then it's a case of kind of using the handheld device to start the impulses once your contractions are starting. So this is one option of pain management this is something that you can do yourself at home um, and you can use all the way up to I guess the actual giving birth if you choose to what are some of the other pain management or pain relief methods you could do at the beginning of your labour um, at home that you would have access to yeah so the way that I generally look at any kind of pain relief options or tools or whatever you want to call them because I think for everyone it's a little bit different how they want to frame that and you know some people don't even really want to think about it as being you know pain that they're going to be feeling but other people just want to accept that that is something that's likely to happen and know how to manage it so mm. there's lots of there's a whole wealth of things that you can do from your home from the beginning of labor that will carry you throughout your labor and it might be that you you know if you're having home birth or if you're going into hospital there will be other options that become available 
once you're in the later stages of labour. Um, but I kind of think of the three main things you can do where you don't need any equipment, you don't need, you know, you don't need to go out and buy anything for your early labour are your breathing is the number one. So, you know, you don't have to have done a hypnobirthing course or, you know, really delved into these kind of relaxation techniques. It's really the most simple way that you can kind of manage with with your contractions throughout labour is long, slow, deep breaths. And actually practising that when you're pregnant can really help. And actually, we probably need to talk about what a contraction is and what it's doing. With your uterus that's carrying your baby, it's a big muscular organ. And what's happening throughout the course of labour is those muscles are contracting and that's why it's called a contraction because it's literally like any muscle in your body that can contract when it's working Um, and what those contractions do is they draw up your cervix which is the opening of your uterus and they also are pushing your baby down so it's kind of that combination of opening the entrance of the womb and pushing your baby down and helping your baby to turn and move through your pelvis and what that can feel like at the beginning of labour is almost like a period type pain like a cramping you might feel it in the front you might feel it more in your lower back or in the tops of your thighs and as it builds you'll start to feel more distinctly your whole tummy tightening and often starting at the top of your tummy, which the top of the uterus is what we call the fundus. And that's the bit that really builds in terms of as your uterus is contracting, the muscle at the top builds throughout labour in order to have this kind of strength to, to push the baby down. So when you're in the earlier stages of labour, the contractions that you're having are quite short and they are doing lots of work but they aren't always lasting very long. And as your labour progresses, their contractions become more regular, closer together, and kind of more... Intense. Intense, yeah. And that's because they're kind of working harder. So actually knowing that generally a contraction or a surge is going to last around 60 seconds by the time you're in active labour, and shorter than that when you're in your earlier stages of labour... It's helpful to know that because what it means is a few long, slow, deep breaths will carry you through that contraction and then it will stop and your tummy will completely relax and you'll have a little break and you'll have a breather. So um, I think that's a really good one to bear in mind. Also, movement. So keeping upright and mobile in your labour will really help your baby and it will help you um, to manage the contractions so trying different positions and props like Jesse you said before you have a birth ball that's a really fantastic kind of thing to have at home you can sit on a birth ball but you can use it in lots of other ways you can kind of kneel on the floor and some comfy cushions and lean over your birth ball so you're in a kind of forward leaning position um, some I've also seen people actually use them in the shower or put them in your bath and kind of lean over them in the bath with the shower on your back. Um, So they're quite good. And what we know is if you're keeping upright and mobile in your labour, gravity's helping 
your baby to move down and it's also relieving any kind of pressure on your back and with the movement you have can really help you to to kind of move through those contractions and then one of the other things that I think can really help in the earlier stages of labor is try as much to distract yourself so almost pretend labor isn't happening until you can no longer fool yourself anymore so that can be music putting on your favorite film or tv show laughter is so good you know like keeping yourself distracted but there's something about laughter producing a certain hormone that is really important in labor yeah we've just talked a lot about contractions and we've not talked about what's making these muscles contract and it is as you said it's oxytocin which is the kind of love hormone and it's the hormone that we release when we're in labor when we're breastfeeding when we're being intimate with someone having sex when we orgasm so it's a fantastic hormone and we release it when we feel calm and safe and kind of relaxed and you know in our kind of mammal brain where we're cozy and and warm and kind of undisturbed so in the stage of labor where you're at home and you're not needing you know you don't have a midwife with you and you're waiting for these surges to kind of build and become more regular it's trying to create an environment where you feel all of those things safe and kind of supported and so with the distraction techniques I sometimes recommend things like walking or distracting yourself with you know tv or music or you know even going to the shop I've had um, women tell me that they've popped Tesco's in early labor just trying to (laughs) ignore what's happening keeping mobile and then when the time is telling you that you need to be on your own then kind of staying in a space where you feel nice and calm so moving on from that So at home as well, you know, we come on to talk about pool birth, but at home you hopefully have a a bath or if you don't have a bath, a shower, and that gives you access to that kind of warm water, which is um, can be really helpful in earlier stages of labour, just keeping you relaxed and calm and um, in quite a, like, tranquil environment. And in terms of your kind of if we're talking about like pharmacological options you can take paracetamol throughout pregnancy you can take paracetamol if you want to take it at home in early labor then you can some people I don't again I think it's that thing of I'm not sure how much paracetamol is really doing as such to really you know it's it's not going to stop you feeling those contractions but it can sometimes take the edge off a bit did did you take any paracetamol in your labors Jess I didn't but I feel like that's kind of like a why not Mm. it's may as well hey yeah yeah I think that I got told that it was very much about this distraction thing in the early labor but sometimes you can't be distracted and especially if you're on your first birth um you may feel like you are and there's that annoying kind of milestone which is the four centimeters dilation and they say you're in active Mm. labor but you may have been bloody laboring for a whole 24 Mm -hmm. hours and they could have been really thick and fast but your cervix isn't dilating and that's incredibly Mm -hmm. frustrating 
I definitely think I, now that I think about it and you're just talking about it, gravity, I stood up a lot of my last labour. It was also a second birth, which sometimes, majority of the time is quicker. But I do wonder whether that did mm. help, just the standing up, even though my legs would feel kind of a bit mm. shaky because you have kind of that adrenaline too, which you don't really want to have, but it's there and it's intense, you know? Um, now, okay, so we've talked about some of the things that you can do in the comfort of your home. You can even incorporate those in, in the birthing centre, in the labour ward. Let's talk about some other more medical, pharmaceutical pain relief methods. Maybe this is going to be when you're when you're in the mm-hmm. hospital, I presume. Yeah, so I think everything we've covered so far are things you can do at home. And I think you touched on a really important thing there, is that the medical world has divided labour into these stages. And actually, they don't really exist in a way. We've kind of applied them to to labour but actually you're you're absolutely right Jess is you're going to feel that you're in labour from when you have that first contraction and you're probably not going to rest very well from that point onwards you're not going to get a full night's sleep so I think it's important to bear that in mind and also to know that it's normal for for labour to last a few days from when you get that first contraction it is really normal um, to be having contractions for you know up to 24 hours if not more um especially with your first Mm. baby so what we're kind of referring to with being four centimeters dilated is essentially once you're admitted if you're planning to give birth in hospital essentially you're admitted when your contractions are really regular so when you're having three to four contractions within a 10 minute period is the kind of general guidance and as you said these contractions are working to a point that your cervix is dilating so from that point once you've been admitted to hospital and you've been told again frustratingly with the word active labor as if before that it wasn't active which we all know is not true you'll have some different options available to you Um, So I'd say one of the most common options that people try is something called gas and air, uh, which we call Entenox. It's a mixture of oxygen um, and nitrogen, so it's nitrous oxide. And um, it's something that you inhale through a mouthpiece. Um, It's a very kind of palatable option because it has very few side effects. Um, So because you inhale it, once you've taken a few deep breaths afterwards it's kind of out your system within 30 to 60 seconds so if you try it and you don't like it you just stop using it and there's no kind of further impact there and what the gas and air does is it helps to the way I describe it is it almost like it distances you from the intensity of the contraction and it helps to control your breathing um, and kind of keep because you're breathing it in and exhaling it whilst you're having the contraction it uh that's kind of helping to kind of slow your breathing down and then with the inhalation of the gas it's it's also helping with the with the pain um so that's quite a common option some women find it makes them feel a bit nauseous it can make your mouth a bit dry but again if you're not getting on with it if you've given it a few goes over a few contractions and you're really not liking it then you can just stop using it so that's one option um you 
also if you're on a birth center i think one of the main kind of draws of the birth center are the birthing pools water immersion in labor is we have so much kind of evidence that tells us it's really positive experience for birthing people to use uh, water immersion it's really relaxing kind of reduces your anxiety can help reduce your blood pressure it also gives this weightlessness and buoyancy which you've not felt for so long when you're pregnant um, in the last few weeks you've been probably feeling really heavy and, and a bit uncomfortable so it has that really added side effect and I think if you're someone that enjoys having baths and you know for example would choose to get in a bath to relax or choose to get in a bath if you had period pain then it's likely to be an option that is kind of attractive for you so um yeah the pools are really nice and I once had someone ask me if they would be the only one in the pool and the answer to that is yes you have your own pool in labor and your own room (laughs) to birth in so yeah it's not a kind of shared environment I think that's the other thing is it can feel really safe being in the pool because you're almost in this kind of protected space where it's just you no one's kind of touching you or close to you you can really get in your zone in labor and feel really kind of safe and protected it's often quite you can dim the lights and some lots of pools that are built in have have like soft lighting built into them as well regarding the pool um is it true that it can sometimes slow down labor because you get too relaxed or is that kind of not that usual it can do but i would in my experience i find that I think there's this thing of, oh, yeah, the pool can kind of make you too relaxed and things slow down and, oh, you shouldn't get in the pool if you're not a certain number of centimetres dilated and things like that. And I think it's, you really, it's a case by case, you know, person to person. I think you have to look at the whole picture, what's happening at the time. If someone's having really regular contractions and things are really ramping up, then I I think the pool is unlikely to put a stop to that. But I would say that, when people arrive at the hospital in labour, they're in a new environment. If they've been having regular contractions before arriving, sometimes the process of getting to the hospital, arriving in a strange place that has these bright lights and someone new kind of offering you various you know, examinations can be quite disturbing to the process of labour and it can cause your contractions to kind of die down a little bit they might space apart they Mm. might feel less intense than they did when you were at home and it's that frustrating thing of you feeling like oh but they were really strong and regular at home and and I've come in and now you know whoever's Mm. looking after me doesn't believe me and and that's really not the case we know that we really know that, that that's very common um and the contractions will come back we just need to help the person in labor to to get back into that zone of feeling kind of in a calm quiet environment often dimming the lights and so probably jumping into a pool at that point might not be the best idea because if you're already not feeling Mm. regular contractions so but what I would say is if you get in the pool um and the contractions seem to to change and slow down or don't seem quite as they were before then you can just get out and you can mobilize and you can have a bounce on a ball or you can have a walk around the room and see what happens so I think, yeah, with the pool, you can get in and out. It's not like once you're in, you're stuck mm. in there. Uh, you can get out later on in labour. I um, also have a tip for anybody who wants to look like a f- absolute mad woman. 
you could do what either my my wonderful cousin did. She went into the um, hospital with her sleeping mask on. Um, so she couldn't see the bright lights and big, massive headphones. Or you could do me, where I went in with huge sunglasses <laughs> and massive headphones and a hood. And I looked absolutely crackers and I didn't care. You won't care. So bring some sunglasses, bring an eye patch. Who cares if it keeps you in the zone? It doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, that is, um, those are some good tips. And I've definitely, yeah, escorted someone into the birthing centre with a fantastically large pair of sunglasses on. Um, <laughs> so that was the other thing. We talked about paracetamol. Once you're in the hospital, we can give you slightly stronger tablets so something like dihydrocodine can is sometimes offered in hospital um which is like a slightly stronger oral pain relief option um you can still use you can bring your tens in with you if you get in the pool you obviously can't use your tens because it's a electrical mm. device another thing that lots of birth centers offer is aromatherapy and this is something that you know you can buy aromatherapy oils to use at home as well um some aromatherapy oils actually help to kind of increase contractions and some are more for like relaxing and having like a more calming effect or an invigorating effect so definitely um inquire about that it might be that at your local antenatal classes they can share some information with you about the oils that are safe in pregnancy and kind of the availability of those oils at your birth center and then another option that is usually available in birth centres is um, an injection of either something called morphine, pethidine or diamorphine. Um, They're all part of the same kind of group of drugs. The main reason for having one would be pain relief, but they can make you feel quite drowsy and they can also sometimes make you feel a bit nauseous so they're often given with like an anti-sickness medication as well and are they safe for the baby yeah so with these i mean we wouldn't give them if they kind of weren't safe but there's a bit of a caveat to that in that they do cross the placenta and so the same effect that they have on yourself of making you quite drowsy it can have the same effect on the baby so with these medications we tend to not try to well it can sometimes be a bit difficult to predict what's going to happen but we try to not give them too close to the birth of the baby so that when the baby's born they haven't still got a lot of the drug in their system um and it kind of doesn't affect their kind of natural kind of instincts to to start breathing and kind of establish their Mm. own respirations but we can't always plan labor and birth so it's something to bear in mind because you might we might think you're in the earlier stages of your labour and you might choose to have the injection and then things progress very quickly. So it's, it is still possible, you know, it's likely they'll still be in your baby's system and, they, and then it can affect things like breastfeeding as well. But for some birthing people, they find that the, the kind of what we class as the earlier stage of labour can be quite lengthy. So if you have had a few days of irregular contractions or sometimes contractions do start and stop a bit you have kind of few hours where things completely stop and then start up again and that obviously really disrupts your sleep so in my experience sometimes people choose to have one of those medications if they're experiencing that type of labor and they just need a few hours of Mm, sleep mm. and it kind of allows your body almost to rest and reset and then you 
come round. Not that you're like completely out, but you the the medication wears off, and then you find that that the labour almost progresses because probably because you've actually been able to have some rest. Thank you, Izzy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So we have heard from Izzy on a wide range of pain relief, but the biggie and the one that there seems to be a lot of stigma about is the epidural. So I thought it would be useful to speak to an anaesthetist to give us the full lowdown on epidurals, what they're about, what happens, how you feel, all of that. Joining me now is anaesthetist and mum of three, Dr. Maria Zia. Maria, thank you very much for joining us. Ah, pleasure is all mine. So managing pain in a labour ward in that situation what level of managing pain can you deliver is it just the epidural or is it other bits and bobs or is the epidural the kind of big one so as anaesthetists the main thing that we get involved with are epidurals and spinals I know you've already chatted to Izzy about some of the other options but um, usually those are midwife led Mm -hmm. or patient led until you come to the epidural or the spinal which is where I get involved as the anaesthetist And for some cases where epidurals and spinals aren't possible, uh, we can do something called patient-controlled analgesia, which is usually a syringe with a drug like an opioid, something like morphine or something called remifentanil, that the patient controls themselves and that gives them medication through their vein when they press a button. Okay, so we know about pethidine and diamorphine. Would that be something you'd be getting involved in or is that more uh, midwife-led? So diamorphine is usually given in a spinal or an epidural, but the thing that we can give is something called fentanyl or morphine through a syringe that the patient controls themselves. And that is what I would be involved with um, setting up and monitoring throughout. When do you usually get involved with an epidural? Let's talk about the epidural. When is usually the time that you will agree to an epidural? Because is there, I believe there's a kind of window that you're allowed it or not, or is that a myth? I don't know. 
Yeah, no, you're right. There is a perception that there is a, a window that a woman needs to ask for an epidural in. The traditional thinking is that you can't ask for it too early because it might slow down your labour. Right. There's an element of truth to that. So traditionally, it would be nice for you to wait until you're in what we call established labour, which is your cervix is at least four centimetres dilated uh -huh. and you're having regular contractions. So most anaesthetists will be more than happy to do an epidural from four centimetres And usually I get involved uh, when a midwife asks me and says, look, my, my lady needs an epidural. Now, the other side of the spectrum is that some women unfortunately feel, oh, but I can't leave it too late either. Otherwise, they'll say no, which is and it should be a myth. Um, right, I okay. will actually give an epidural to anyone who asks. The only reason I do not give an epidural is when the baby's head is crowning, because then it's, it's too risky to put one in and a patient would really get no benefit if they're going to push their baby out in in the next few in the next few goes so the epidural should be a viable option for anyone who asks for it at any time really and can you explain how you administer the epidural what's um going to be the situation that happens is it through your spine is that what happens yeah so usually a midwife will come along and say hi i'm looking after so-and-so in room four and she's finding that the you know that pethidine hasn't worked she's not getting along with gas and air um she would really like an epidural now her labor has gone on long enough she feels she feels like she's getting really mm -hmm. really tired and so i'll pop along say hello to the lady i will um just take a very brief medical history and the reason for doing that is to find out if she's got any allergies whether there's any reason that I shouldn't be citing an epidural and there are a few which I'll, I'll talk about later mm -hmm. um, and then I speak to them about all the risks and the benefits um, I find that most patients nowadays especially are really well informed about epidurals so they might just say look I know all of that but what I'm concerned about is x or y or z and so I'm mm -hmm. happy to sit and chat to them about that and then um, we generally need a lady to have a drip in in her hand some of them already have a drip for um drugs to speed up the labor or for fluids if they've mm -hmm. been sick or for antibiotics um if that's not in we need to get one in uh and then after that i clean the back i do expose the back give it a thorough clean to make sure it's as clean as possible um with some antiseptic solution and then we do get them to sit in a very very weird position now you can either sit on on your on your bum and curl forwards mm. or sometimes a bit more comfortable for a woman in labor is on her side and curled mm. up into the fetal position as much as she can mm -hmm. because you know there's obviously this massive bump there um and then once i've scrubbed and got all of my equipment ready it's basically an injection with a needle that goes into the spine and then we introduce through that needle a very small catheter catheter is just medical speak for a thin fine tube Mm -hmm. And the tube is attached to a bag of actually local anaesthetic and another drug. And that just goes in to that space in the spine, the epidural space. Um, and then the needle is taken out, but that tube remains in. And everything is fixed to the back with miles and miles and miles and miles of adhesive tape. So it doesn't go, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't dislodge. And then a lady is free to move around within the bed and the, and the drip can be started. So it's like a drip, but it just goes into the back. And it's a it's got a very specific medication in it. And how quickly can it relieve pain? So from seeing a woman, putting the actual epidural in, citing it, can take about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. But to expect to see an effect will take a further 
15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I do warn patients about this, which is why sometimes we really do have to balance the, the risk of putting one in versus the benefit. Because if a lady is very, very close to delivering her baby, mm. by the time we've set one up and got it in and got it running and, and put the drugs in, they might not ever get any benefit from it and they've already delivered their baby. So I say usually by the time I'm at the door to the patient feeling a bit comfortable, it's usually about 35 minutes. And I, I guess the challenges that you can face is that uh, someone may be having very regular contractions or surges, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so you potentially be writhing around, moving around because it's making them feel a bit better to kind of, you know, loosen up. Oh, definitely. So, so you, you, I presume, have to keep them very still and kind of do it yeah. very quickly in between a surge contraction. Yeah, this is something that most women are the most anxious about. Mm. Oh, but I can't sit still, but my contractions are coming on so fast. But I say, let me take on that stress. Don't worry, mm. I am used to doing this. I am used to doing this on women who are moving, who are in absolute agony. And I'm very, very used to working under these conditions. All anaesthetists are, we are that is what we are trained to do. And what we do is we work around the contractions. So as long as you've got a very good dialogue with, with the lady and you say, look, I'm going to start the procedure at the moment. I'm just feeling the bones in your back. OK, if you have a contraction, just say contraction and I'll stop what I'm doing. And then we look for that window. There is a part of the procedure that really does require complete stillness. But I do warn the patient and I try and time it so that a contraction finishes. I quickly push in with that needle and find the space that I'm looking for and then the needle comes out. And then as soon as the lady has another contraction, I say, you know, it's all in. So it, it's fine. Lift your neck up, breathe, you know, take your time. So it's, it's a very narrow window we have, but we do get there. And, and, and can you walk around if you've had an epidural? Oh, this is a difficult one. So we've been working on a, well, I say we, but I mean, clever people, cleverer than me, have been working for many, many years on what's called a walking epidural. Ah. So far, I've not seen it happen okay. with any convincing effect, to be honest. So I would say we have tried as much as we can to give a low dose anaesthetic that covers the pain relief, that gives you adequate pain relief. But there will be a degree of leg weakness along with that, of mm -hmm. muscle weakness and leg weakness. So women find that they're usually mobile within their bed. But the idea of walking around, even supported, sometimes isn't encouraged because those legs can be weaker than than you think they are are there any other side effects that that people should be aware of that is going to happen with an epidural yeah so there are a few side effects i would say the common things i'll talk about the common things first some women are very sensitive to some of the medication that goes in through the epidural and it can cause women to itch or it can give them terrible shakes um, and sometimes then they're not told about that and they're terrified. Why am I shaking? Why am I all itchy? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the first things I mentioned. I say, look, this can go in, but it can cause some women to feel itchy, which we can give you some antihistamine for. It can cause you to be, feel a little bit shaky. Um, some of the other more common things are the weakness in the legs, the heavy legs. Another side effect is that sometimes the epidural might not work. So it might only numb one side of your body or just a small part of your body um, instead of numbing you evenly from the waist downwards. And if that happens, it might just need replacing. So that is a new epidural would be inserted. And then I suppose one of the things that we do worry about, it's occasional, it's not extremely common, 
but uh, your blood pressure can decrease, okay, with an epidural as soon as it goes in. And as soon as the drugs are given, the midwife is trained to take the blood pressure regularly and really monitor that woman. And again, that's occasional and it can be immediately remedied. As I said, a lot of women will already have a drip with some fluids running and that helps to, you know, keep the blood pressure stable. The other things people worry about are headaches. There is a chance, it's quoted to be a 1 in 100 to 1 in 200 chance of a really bad headache after an epidural. And that usually happens if, if the epidural needle has progressed just a, like a few millimetres too far and it pierces a, a membrane of fluid that surrounds the spine. And if your needle pierces that membrane, there can be some leak of that fluid and that's what can give a headache afterwards. So that is, that is one of the other side effects. So... Will you need, once you've had the epidural, will you need to have a re-up of the epidural at any point? Can it wear off? So the epidural can wear off, but actually in most units nowadays, women are in control of their own epidurals. It's something called patient-controlled epidural analgesia. Oh, right. So what happens is your the tube, that catheter, is connected to a pump, which is connected to a bag of mm-hmm. bag of medicine that goes into the epidural. And they're instructed, they're given a little button and uh, you hand the little button and you say, rules are simple, anytime you feel pain, you press the button once. And the beauty of that is, is that the the medication comes through, the woman controls it, she tells the midwife I'm feeling pain, press the button, the medication starts and then the machine locks out. So it, it doesn't allow you to administer too much too quickly. And then the women are told, if you get uncomfortable, just press the button. So most women you know, control the their own amount of pain relief that they feel. And a lot of women actually want it to wear off the closer they get to delivery because some women actually want to feel more sensation. And so they work with the midwife and, you know, they'll say, maybe I should lay off of any more button presses if I'm 10 centimetres and I'm waiting. And uh, that, that's, the, that's the nice part of it, that they're much more in control. They're much more empowered to control their own level of pain mm. relief through it. And I guess it's all about that communication with the midwife, the midwife telling them how um, many centimetres dilated they are so that if they are considering wanting to feel that sensation of uh, crowning and when the baby, you're giving birth to the baby, they will have that constant communication with the midwife to be able to hopefully enable that. But equally, if they didn't want to feel the baby crowning, they could equally have the epidural still going. Or do you not? Oh, absolutely. Do you you, you kind of advise not to do that? No, no, there's no advice not to do that. Um, You know, no woman should be subjected to any sensational pain that she doesn't want to feel. Um, Some do want to feel it. And so, yeah, they they communicate with the midwife and they say, look, I'm really comfy now, but um, I don't want to be this comfortable when when I deliver. And that's Mm. fine. Then the midwife will decide when when to start phasing, slowing the epidural down and, and not pressing that button so often. Um, but similarly, other women don't want to feel a thing and uh, they will continue to use the epidural right up until they've finished delivering the baby. And that's also acceptable, completely acceptable. Um, now, we talk, you touched on um, an epidural being administered, potentially slowing down progression in labour. Is there a certain time when that can... I mean, you know, you're in active labour when you even if you have been labouring for many hours before, but when you get to that four centimetres, that's when you're officially in active labour. Now, let's talk about the slowing down, the kind of some of the 
kind of it, it, is that very common to happen and 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 how is that dangerous for the baby is that dangerous for the mother the, the pregnant person i mean i've seen that happen very occasionally but i cite an epidural and a woman who is contracting once every three minutes religiously suddenly has contractions once every five minutes and then once every 10 minutes now sometimes uh you know, those contractions can start back again. Sometimes you need a medicine to help with those contractions or to speed it up. Um, But it doesn't, I've not seen it slow down the labour so drastically that it becomes dangerous, not at all. Also like to clarify, a lot of people do think if I have an epidural, I'm more likely to end up with a cesarean section. And that's not true. That's another myth. It's a misconception. There have been several studies done now that show no relation to having an epidural in labour to having a cesarean section at the end of it. What an epidural does do is that it can prolong the second stage of labour. So the actual pushing stage once you've fully dilated. And that, I suppose, is because, you know, you have lost your sensation down there. So you might need, you know, help with the actual delivery. So through um, a ventouse, a suction cup on the baby's head or forceps. Or it might just take you a little longer to push the baby out yourself. If you were being induced with a drip... Is it quite common, because that can come on quite thick and fast, you know, a drip is encouraging, uh, it's a synthetic, oh, I'm going to say this wrong, but it's encouraging um, contractions to start potentially before your body was necessarily ready, your baby was necessarily ready to come out. Do you find that people that are induced are more commonly using epidurals as a pain relief because of that intensity of labour or is it very different for different horses for courses? You know it is different for different women but definitely inductions and epidurals with with the drip almost go hand in hand Um, and women are explained that look your contractions are likely to be far more intense than they would be Mm. otherwise they might be quicker than they would be otherwise. And also that hormone drip can be manipulated. It can be sped up even more, you know, and that can cause even more painful and quicker contractions. So women are usually told beforehand that, look, you can get an epidural in before we start the drip. Some women are keen to see how they go. They say, can I just start the drip and see if I can tolerate it and then ask for an epidural later? And that's also completely acceptable. But yeah, I do find that if if women are being induced, they do require epidurals a lot more than women without the hormone drip. That's my personal experience of it. Yeah. I wanted to know whether you are more likely to tear. Maybe you can't answer this. Are you more likely to get tears vaginally if you have an epidural due to that lack of sensation or not no nope if a midwife is guiding that birth you are no more likely to tear having an epidural at all in fact some might say it's the converse because you're so comfortable you're unlikely to feel that huge urge to push or push too fast and too Mm -hmm. hard so actually you are no more likely to tear with an epidural okay and what are some of the risks that surround having an epidural so The common risks are things like um, having some itching, heavy legs and needing a urinary catheter to be passed as well because the epidural kind of numbs the nerves of the bladder and and doesn't help you to empty out the bladder that that well. So most women do need a urinary catheter as well. Um, But some of the other risks, which are thankfully very uncommon, also do include things like nerve damage. Now, it sounds very, very scary. What we do mean by that is an an area of numbness or weakness in the leg that may persist for a few months after the epidural has all been removed and after the birth. In most cases, thankfully, this does tend to 
you know, get better on it of its own accord. Um, in very, very, very rare cases, this can be permanent. The only other serious and rare side effects are things like infections. So where anything breaches the skin, no matter how clean and tidy the technique is, no matter how carefully we sterilise the entire area, any needle, anything piercing the skin can introduce a risk of infection. So there is also the, the largely theoretical risk of a spinal infection or an abscess forming or a blood clot forming in the spine as well, something that in medical speak we call a hematoma. Those things would be very, very serious indeed. They would probably require some form of emergency surgery to sort out. But thankfully, as I said, they are extremely rare to encounter. Can we go back to diamorphine or like the morphine um, option that potentially would happen before you get to epidural stage yeah. that you may be offered? How would you administer that? Sorry, is, is it just an injection into the vein um, and is it a one-time injection? Yeah, so that would tend to be an injection administered into the muscle, actually. So it would go in, oh, yeah, okay. so it would go into your muscle. It's an IM injection. Um, there are some side effects to that. And what people find is that it does dull some of the pain, but rather they stop caring so much about the pain as well, if you see what I mean. It kind of just makes mm. them feel a bit calmer and more accepting, and it takes the edge off, as it were. I talked about Bake Off when I had a bit of diamorphine on my first um, birth. I just talked about Bake Off, and I definitely <laughs> was still aware of stuff happening. Yeah. But I talked about Bake Off a lot and kind of chatted to this this lady who was on work experience I found out later um, who I thought was a student student midwife and yeah just chatted to her about Bake Off and um, and it was all quite surreal but it definitely I was completely compass mentis by the time yeah I got round to pushing so that that's another one that wears off yeah, right that is another one that wears off we've touched on this stigma that surrounds epidurals it's always kind of you know I've had loads of friends that have said um I had the epidural and they kind of sound apologetic and it seems ridiculous. It helped them manage the pain. But what is it about this stigma that is that does surround pain relief in birth? Um, and why doesn't it go away? Yeah, these are really interesting questions, Jessie. And, and you're right to use the word stigma because there is a stigma regarding epidurals for childbirth. And, and it is unique to pain relief in birth because, you know, nobody would be apologetic for you know, say, accepting anaesthetic at a dentist before having dental work done on their teeth. So I'm not sure why we feel that we shouldn't be having pain relief for one of the most painful processes in women's lives. And there's no easy answer. You know, in my personal experience, I think there tends to be a societal belief, a, a sort of deeply ingrained attitude that you know, childbirth is a natural process. Women have been doing it for centuries, you know, without pain relief. And, you know, maybe there's an expectation that we as women in this day and age should just be able to tolerate it and get on with it. Mm, and mm. what I also would say is that in my experience, sometimes it's, you know, it's a pressure that women put on themselves. Um, because, you know, it's quite common for women to share their birth experiences and compare them. And, uh, you know, some feel that, well, my grandma didn't have an epidural. My mum didn't have an epidural. My sister didn't require an epidural to give birth. And my best friend didn't have one either. And so there's an expectation that, well, perhaps maybe I shouldn't be asking for one either. Maybe I should be able to do this without any pain relief. And then the sad thing is, is that if they do end up requesting one or needing one, because there are certain situations where an epidural might be needed for the, for the labour, 
these women feel like they've failed somehow, that they've failed in this thing that they were supposed to just tolerate. And they are no longer able to say that I gave birth naturally, mm. which is a real shame. And, and it's really, really sad. And it's just not an area that women should be made to feel like failures because, you know, as mothers, we're all heroes, regardless of how we've given birth. You know, a cesarean section is not an easy thing to go through. Natural mm. birth is not easy to go through. Instrumental is not easy to go through. We are all heroes for putting our bodies through what they have been mm. through over nine months and then through birthing another human being. And I hope that these attitudes do change and it gets better for women and there is no pressure or, or feelings of failure if they have required an epidural to, to help them through the birth process. I wanted to ask, does an epidural affect the baby in any way? Not really, no. Um, that's a fairly clear-cut answer because we really don't see any side effects or any ill effects on the baby. The beauty of the epidural is the drugs that we give tend to stay within the epidural compartment of the mother. So there's very, very little seepage of that medication into the bloodstream and negligible amounts of it cross through to the placenta to affect the baby. The only time where we can see a little bit of a negative effect in the baby is if the mother's blood pressure drops, which is, it can mm -hmm. happen occasionally once you put the epidural in. So when the mother's blood pressure drops, it just means there's less oxygen circulating to the placenta and hence to the baby. And so their heart rate might dip a little bit, it might slow down. But um, that's very quickly picked up and it's very easily remedied. Apart from that, the baby is not more likely to be, uh, you know, breathing too slowly. They're not more likely to be drowsy. Epidurals are, have almost negligible effect on babies. One thing I wanted to know, just about if you're getting induced and you do get an epidural, are you entitled to the epidural before you get to four centimetres dilation? Or is it still that you need to get to four centimetres dilation to be an active labour to get the epidural? I am happy to give an epidural to ladies who, are, who have not reached four centimetres of dilatation. Um, and that is because those contractions are going to be so painful, so thick and fast. And a lot of women insist on it before the drip has even been set up. And of course, I, I agree to that as well. So no, you don't have to wait uh, to get to four centimetres. Um, you can have the epidural and that drip beforehand. But it is good to know that in another situation where you maybe aren't getting induced by four centimetres, if you were really struggling and you need some pain relief, you can ask for an epidural. Oh, definitely. Or some other pain relief apart from gas and air. Oh, absolutely. What I would say to women is that it's really important that you feel empowered to ask and that you are listened to. So if you've already made your mind up and you know that it's the way that you want to give birth, you want you don't want to experience any pain and you want an epidural, then there really shouldn't be any obstacles into getting one at any point of the labour. Um, so it's really important to keep talking to your midwife, communicate with her, make your preferences known. And once you've asked for an epidural, it should be given in, a, in, a, in good time. I mean, there are national standards for this. They say within half an hour of asking for an epidural, a woman should be seen by an anaesthetist and within one hour, she should actually have an epidural. That's really helpful information. Thank you so much, Maria. Not at all. Thank you for joining us on Is It Normal? The Pregnancy Podcast. Um, I think you will have really helped a lot of pregnant people that are listening to feel like they can make their own decision and be able to understand an epidural really, really well. So thank you so much. Not at all. My pleasure. 
that was Dr. Maria Zia talking about epidurals. She also, when we just um, finished chatting, she said there's a really uh, brilliant website if you want to learn more about the statistics that surround epidurals, spinal headaches and that kind of thing. You can go to labourpains.com. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, I hope that has helped you feel more informed, whatever you decide to do on the day. And I hope you're feeling okay. You know, we haven't got long to go. I'm definitely feeling like we don't have long to go. And I have not got anything sorted yet. Um, But take care and we'll see you for week 36. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.